0: Pastor John here, welcoming you to our broadcast. One of the hardest things for any of us to do is to wait. Nearly all of us like things to happen sooner rather than later, particularly the good things God promises us as believers. So waiting can be a challenge. Our passage for the day deals with waiting. Let's join the service as we walk line by line through 2 Thessalonians 1. You know, one of the great blessings we have as a church, a great blessing that I have as a pastor is a group of people that can lead worship, amen, fill this pulpit and speak eloquently about the Word of God. Thank you. I'd like you to turn to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 1. I'm going to read through the chapter for you. Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of Lord, brothers and sisters. John said something about waiting. I don't like to wait. Uh, yeah, it, I, I just, I, I was online the other day. You ever call for support online and you get somebody that doesn't understand you and you can't understand him? And I'm, I'm going back and forth. I'm saying, I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you said. And he's repeating it. And, and he, his name was Eric, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, he said, can you wait? And I, I had lost it. It's going to be a surprise to you. I'm not perfect. I went, no, I don't like to wait. I'm like, oh, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know and it, it that, that took a while to come around because I, I was i was amped up but i don't like to wait do you we don't like to wait for anything well some of us do i don't know what's wrong with you people that like to wait but that, that's that's the question of the day it's also the title of our sermon is can you wait can you wait Now, can you wait patiently? I was talking to John before the service, John Sellers, and he said, you know, patience isn't the capability to wait. It's the attitude you have while you're waiting. And and that's something I'll carry with me for quite some time. Okay? Can you wait? Now, here we all are in 2 Thessalonians, first chapter. Paul planted churches as he was going through Macedonia. Uh, His ministry was hallmarked by rejection. (laughs) Uh, I mean, everywhere he went, no, nobody liked him, and narrow escapes from several cities. Still, he planted churches in those cities, and there were small groups of people that were faithful, uh, remnant, to, 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 there was some structure to them, so that the teaching of the gospel could continue, so that it could take hold in those cities. And just about when everything that he did seemed like a failure and it was all kind of falling apart, Paul was in Corinth and he got news that the church in Thessalonica was struggling but remained faithful and was growing. Now it was, That was a city that he had his hardest time in. And so he was encouraged by this. That the struggles that they were having were real. Because about this time, Nero was pursuing uh, martyring Christians. Uh, and if not being martyred, these people in the church were, were being rejected by their families. They were losing their livelihood. They were losing their friends. And in general, they were, they were being persecuted on all sides. But the Thessalonians seemed to be holding up. Now, some questionable teaching had kind of crept into the church. There was a preoccupation with the return of Christ. We'll get into that in a little bit. But in general, the church was doing well. They were kind of holding their own. So in the first letter, Paul reminded them of who they were as a church, who they were as individuals. He reminded them of their calling and what what they had been assigned to do by the Lord Jesus Christ and encouraged them to be true to that calling. And he sent a solid teaching on the parousia. Now, what is the parousia? That's a fancy word for the return of the Lord. You know, we would call it, in, in our context, we would call it the end times. Paul wanted to make sure that they understood how this was supposed to roll out. And then there was also, in that first letter, a caution against idleness, against people that weren't doing anything. So now he writes this second letter, and we know from history that the persecution is getting worse. The Roman Empire is killing more and more people. Uh, More and more people are dying. There are wild rumors being spread all over the place about Jesus returning and when it was going to happen. Now, that's kind of understandable. Uh, these people were in a really tough situation. They're, they're literally dying for their faith, and they need some hope. So they're, they're kind of holding on to, oh, Jesus is coming back soon. The signs are out there. Look at this world situation. Look at that. what's going on in the Roman Empire and so on and so forth. You can tell that the times are ripe. And so they're holding on to these things, and uh, they, they, now would be a good time for Christ to return, some of them were thinking. Now, there were also some people teaching that Christ had already returned. And that was a problem for those people that were there. Uh, Most of the folks in the church, if Christ had returned, had been left behind. He came back, and he didn't take them with him. So, So some thought he was coming soon. Some thought he had already come. There's a lot of confusion going on in the church over those secondary teachings. But there was also a lot of fear. So Paul writes this this second letter and he wants to give them hope he wants to remind them of what he has been teaching them and what the people he's left behind is teaching them and he again wants to caution him against idleness and literally saying now now is not the time to sit back and wait there's work to be done paul wants to bring some clarity on the return of christ he's not going to encourage watch this And and Scripture doesn't encourage in any way for us to speculate on the return. It's not a big issue. What Paul wants to remind him is that he is coming back. And the timing is up to the Father. So in short, Paul wants him to live in the here and the now not to be waiting for something that's going to happen in the future. He wants them living the gospel. He wants them spreading the news. He wants them doing the work of building God's kingdom. So first, he's going to encourage them and, and edify, and this new and struggling church needs some encouragement. And so today, in today's passage, we're going to see how he does that. He does it in three steps. And step one is he will praise them in verses 1 through 4. Step two is he will give them a promise from God in 5 through 10. And then he will pray for them in 11 through 12. So let's take a look at this praise that Paul has for the Thessalonian church. Starting in verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Now, Paul is very careful to mention who he's with. Generally, these are the people that are going to carry the letter to that church. He wants them, he wants the church to know that they come in his authority. So Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, to the Church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost the same greeting as is in the first letter. There's no equivocation here. But then he goes on to say this in verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, and read brothers and sisters there at Delphoi, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you have for one another is increasing. Now, notice this. The growth of their faith is directly linked to the increasing of their love. Their faith is linked to the love that they express. Both are increasing. As one is built up, the other one increases and begins to mature. Paul has high praise for this. He says it's a good thing. But also notice that Paul says that he ought to give thanks. Now, this is a thread that runs through all of Paul's teaching, isn't it? If you're familiar with his letters. He gives thanks in all things. And when I say all things, I mean Paul is thankful in all things. That doesn't mean that he paints a smiley face on everything that happens to him. Paul is free, freely willing to admit uh, that that there are things that are difficult that happen to him in his life. He's fairly candid about them. But he wants to give thanks for them because Paul believes that... that Everything that happens to him is for his good and God's glory. So not only has Paul decided, made a conscious decision to be thankful in all things, he said it's right. It's, it's appropriate for him to do this. It is correct. It's one of Paul's gifts to us. Now, we need to be real careful with this, brothers and sisters, because it's very difficult to be thankful in all things. It's very difficult for us not to try to extract ourselves from those uncomfortable situations. It's very difficult for us not to avoid the things that might hurt us, that might be a a chore for us, that, that might deprive us. So Paul wants to constantly remind us that we are to be thankful in all things. So... At that moment, that one person, you know which one I'm talking about, comes around the corner at the supermarket and looks you in the eye, and you could see their heart is going, oh, no. Now I've been confronted by this person. And you're thinking the same thing. What do we do with that moment? We utter a short prayer. Father, thank you for... Giving me the opportunity to express some mercy and grace to this person. Yeah, they might not receive it real well, but that's not on them. That's not on you. At that moment you have when, when you've got bad news. Somebody's called you in the office, you lost your job. Somebody you love has passed away. Something has happened to somebody very close to you that you think is an absolute devastation. Can we give thanks in that? It's easy to give thanks to the good things, isn't it? Won the lottery. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Lost my job. Uh... <laughs> we're to give thanks in all things. God has a reason for the, allowing these things to happen in our lives. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean it feels any better. It doesn't mean that we just kind of gloss over and go, well, you know, we're just going to be thankful. Okay? It means that we work at receiving what God has put on our plate in a gratitude of thanks, saying literally, I don't know know why this is here. I don't know why this is so hard. I'd rather not have it, but I'm going to thank you, Lord, because you know a lot more about this situation than I do. And I want to submit to you every moment of this experience so that I can learn the things that you want to teach me so that I don't have to keep on coming back to this moment. I love that, that Israel wandered for 40 years. I mean, they wandered for 40 years on a trip that should have taken them about six months. You, you ever think that it, it, they ever got to the point where they went, hasn't that mountain been on our left for a long time? <laughs> are, 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 are we going in circles? But they had a lesson to learn. They had a lesson learned. And if, if if they understood the big picture, they would have been able to say, Thank you, Lord, for this time of refinement. Thank you, Lord, for this time of learning your lessons over and over and over again. Because I don't always get it the first time. That's what Paul's talking about. So because the Thessalonians are increasing in their faith and their love. In verse four, Paul says, "Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all of your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring." Now, Paul never minimizes their suffering. He never says, "Get over it." He never says, oh, you know, "Oh, don't worry; there are better days coming." Uh, and, and he opens his first letter with high praise for this new church because of how they're handling these difficult times he boasts about their steadfastness he's running around the region bragging on them. Paul talks a lot about their sufferings I mean uh, the 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 first letter was just filled with it he keeps on bringing it up over and over again as a matter of fact he brings it up so often that by now you would think well you know is Paul kind of eager for their sufferings to end is he looking for some relief for them well, let's read on and see. We heard about the, the, the persecutions. Now let's hear about the promise, our second step. So the promise might not, listen carefully, the promises of God never promise that our sufferings are going to end, at least not while we're here on this earth. But they do give us a way through these hard times. So Let's look at exactly what this promise is. Verse 5. There is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. What, What evidence are we talking about? Their steadfastness and faith in light of their sufferings. It's not their sufferings, but their steadfastness in light of it. God seems to see trials a little bit differently than we do. And we need to understand this. Hardship, yeah, he sees hardship in a different light than we do. Uh, in particular, when those trials are for the sake of the gospel, listen carefully. In particular, when those trials are for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, uh, he sees them as a crucial element of, listen to this, righteous judgment. Now we've got to be careful with this. God sees hardship. For the sake of the gospel is righteous judgment. And if, if, if we stopped right there, our first inclination would be to believe that somehow hardship is punishment for something we haven't done or something we've done incorrectly. And that would be a really valid thought if we didn't continue reading in the chapter, the second half of the verse. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So suffering for the kingdom... Suffering for the sake of the gospel is a sign that believers are part of the kingdom. Did you hear what I just said? Suffering for the sake of the gospel is a sign to the world that believers are part of the kingdom. Now, we have to be careful here because this is a very specific type of suffering that we're talking about. It pertains to hardship for your beliefs, hardship for your faith, This is not, oh, I've got a headache today. I'm suffering for the gospel. This is not, I robbed a bank, and now I'm going to prison for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's not what Paul's talking about here. This is holding fast to your faith particularly in the face of opposition and persecution because of your faith, because you're a Christian, you can't have this job, because you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can't join this group, because you said something out of the Bible, we're going to kick you off Facebook. That's the type of suffering that Paul's talking about here. When we suffer it, when we stand up for what we believe. Paul expresses something very similar in his letter to the Philippians. In Philippians 1, starting in verse 27, he says this. Listen carefully. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. So, in both letters, we see similar ideas. They're not the same, though. In Philippians, God says that the perseverance of the believers as they encounter sufferings is evidence of their salvation. In this letter, to, the second letter to Thessalonians, the implication is that the suffering of God's believers is the evidence of God's perfect righteousness. So we look at that, well, so is my suffering evidence that, of my salvation or evidence of God's perfect righteousness? Yes. Who said yes? Okay, you get a star. <laughs> They're both true. They're both right. Believers will suffer because they are believers. Their hardship for the sake of the gospel is a proof that they were part of the kingdom. And God uses it. Their hardship will also be God's opportunity to put his righteousness on display. Your hardship is God's opportunity to put his righteousness and his justice on display. Well, how does that happen, Pastor John? the, The verses say that God will repay those that cause that hardship and suffering that are occurring to you. This is crucial for us to understand. We need to hold on to this. We need to appropriate this and make it part of our lives. We don't have to exact revenge upon anybody. It's not our job. God will repay those who are an offense to Him and to us because of our faith. Do you understand what this means? We don't have to fight our battles. Oh, but wait a minute. Somebody's got to do something about this situation. Did you hear what happened in Congress? Now, this is not a recipe for passivity. But we got to be careful. we got to be careful that we're not fighting God's battles for Him. We don't have to argue. Oh, please. <laughs> Just spend a little bit. If you're not on, on Facebook... Go there and take a look at it this afternoon. Everybody's arguing about everything. And it breaks my heart that the church engages in those arguments. It breaks my heart that the church argues with itself. Oh, we believe this. How could you believe that? That's wrong. Look at this scripture. No, no, look at this scripture over here. You people aren't saved. No, you people aren't saved. It goes on and on and on. We're all out there fighting for God. I think God gets a kick out of that. Really, you're going to fight for me. We don't. We, we, we not only have to not fight our battles, we don't have to fight at all. As a matter of fact, God will use your struggles to show the world His righteousness and His holiness. Now, how's He going to do that? Well, I'm standing here being persecuted. Well. I just lost my job because of this, or my kid can't go to that school because of that. Verse six: since indeed God considers just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And look at seven, eight, first half of seven, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as us. Did you hear that? God will repay those who afflict us and grant relief to you and me this is great news god is going to have his way with those who pervert his justice who pervert his righteousness with those who live unholy lives with those who oppress his children with those who persecute them god is afflict those will afflict those who afflict his own now that's a good thing to belong to god isn't it Because we have the great defender, the creator of the entire universe, and it's devastating to be against God. Now, all this is fantastic news, isn't it? I love this. It's amazing. God's going to vindicate his people. He's going to exact vengeance upon those who cause him sufferings. And I say, great, you go, God. Man, I can hardly wait to see this. I'm just going to stand back and watch you beat up and humiliate the people that are giving me a hard time. And, oh, I'll pray for him, but I'm going to do it with a little smile on my face. We're all eager for that to happen, aren't we? We want to save it. We want to to savor that moment. Wait a minute. When is this going to happen? (laughs) Verse 7b. When the Lord Jesus is revealed... With his mighty angels. Oh. <laughs> In flaming fire. Inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It's going to occur at the revelation of Christ. Interesting Greek word here. It's apocalypsis. where we get the, our word apocalypse from. That's when it's going to happen. This is a promise of God. Those who reject him and oppress his people will suffer God's vengeance, will suffer God's wrath when Christ returns. Now, Paul describes this in detail in verse 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Well, what does that mean it's a tough phrase the niv translates it as everlasting destruction so does the king james the nab it as eternal ruin so what happens to these people do the ungodly end up destroyed annihilated forever or are they being eternally destroyed you know the efca statement of faith says that those who reject god will suffer uh, eternal torment in hell That's that's what the EFCA believes. And the debate goes on and on and on. So we really don't know what it means. And it's certainly not something for us to argue over. Amen? Because we just heard we're not supposed to argue. But we do know this about these people. They will be away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Verse 10, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So Paul's promise to the church at Thessalonica and to us is that we will be vindicated in the end when we will be with God forever. So that led Paul to say in in his letter to Romans 8.18, for I can listen, in the end when we will be with God forever, That seems like us having to wait for a long time, doesn't it? But Paul says this in Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul knows it's hard to wait. He gets it. He knows better than anyone else how hard it is to wait after you look at everything that paul's been through you realize what he's endured while he patiently waited for to be home with god so he offers this prayer to the believers verse 11 to this end we always pray for you that our god may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power now did you catch a phrase there that god will make you worthy We have to understand, even as we try to wait patiently, as we try to allow God to fight our battles, that there's nothing we can do to make ourselves worthy of this great blessing. But through the process of sanctification initiated and led by the Holy Spirit in us, we are made worthy of God's calling. In other words, God works in us, works through us, and makes us worthy to be accepted by him. So, oh, well, that's good news. Accepted for what? To do every work of faith by my own power, by his power. Don't miss this. Anything we do in faith, anything, any good thing that we look at, any, any godly thing that... that comes flowing out of us comes by his power and not ours paul's prayer is that each of us become eager vessels transformed by his spirit to do his works So, okay, so what is the ultimate end of that? Why do we do those works? Verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. That's singular and plural at the same time, all of us. And you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we encounter. Everything that comes our way, everything we endure, everything we enjoy, everything we stumble over, every breath we take is a gift of grace for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, we're not the center of the universe, God is. Everything is done for his glory. The great advantage, the great blessing of the way God brings glory to himself is we're the vehicles that he uses to do that. We get caught up in God glorifying himself. We become part of his work in building his kingdom and drawing people to him. So we've seen these three steps. We saw the praise. Paul says, okay, good job, you guys that are struggling. He brags on them. He he commends them. He's, He's... He's proud of them. He sees them as examples of what a church should be. Not because they're having a hard time, but because of the way they're handling the hard time. So you're not bragging on them just because they're being persecuted, but the way they're addressing it, they're steadfast, they are faithful. And even though times are difficult, uh, they, they remain steadfast. Now, that should cause us to consider how do we handle hard times? What do we do? What happens when things don't go the way we expect them to go? How do we handle disappointment? How do we handle opposition? How do we handle persecution or worse? Do we get frustrated? Do we get angry? Do we fight back? Or do we remain steadfast? Sometimes in remaining steadfast, we will stand up and make a stand. That's a good thing. But when we do it in anger and frustration and disappointment... It's not for God. It's not for the sake of the gospel. It's for the sake of me. We saw this promise. Paul gives this promise of vindication, a promise of eternal comfort in the presence of God, but it's not going to happen right now. It will happen at some point when we stand in glory, and a lot of people want their vindication now. They want to see the ones who have hurt them pay for what they've done. Paul tells us to be patient. That whatever is coming for us as believers is more than worth the wait. More than worth whatever we're going through right now. Far more glorious than anything we may have to endure while we're waiting. I love Revelation, the end of Daniel, don't you? Because Daniel's looking into heaven, he's hearing things. John, a veil opens up, he sees into heaven, and I think both of them are standing there going, I have no idea how to describe this. <laughs> I, it, there's, I don't know, there's a thing uh, and a lake and some elders, and there's bowls and fires and stuff like that. Heaven is so far beyond your imagination and mine, it is indescribable. And God gives us the end of Daniel and Revelation not to pique our interest on whether or not these dragons or helicopters floating around and atomic bombs and that, but to say, this is far more glorious than anything you expect. Don't try and figure it out. When you get here, you're just going to be amazed. So amazed that we'll be singing along with the cherubims around the throne, holy, 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 maybe for 10,000 years or so. I used to think, how could you do that? Don't you get tired of singing holy, holy, holy? No. <laughs> no. It's far more beyond anything we can imagine. So Paul gives this prayer. He knows that we, we don't do, do good at waiting. And he understands that everything, all we go through, all we do, all the pain, all the joy, all the struggles, all of the celebrations of life, it's all about the glory of God. All about the glory of God. And the reality is that we are enabled to experience it all by his grace. And there is so much more coming for those who believe those indescribable experiences that we're talking about. And that happens when each of us are united with God forever. Meanwhile, we have to live our lives here, don't we? And the question is, can you wait? Can you wait? And that may be hard to do, But think about this for just a moment. Jesus waited. Brothers and sisters, he waited for you. He waited for me. You know, if if God were not merciful, if he was merely just, he would have annihilated us the first time we sinned. But God was patient with us. Jesus waited for us. Now, now think, think, okay, that's good, amen, that's good, it's a good thing. Okay, some of you think that's a good thing, that's good. <laughs> think about Jesus on the cross. If, have you ever been injured, seriously? Raise your hand. Isn't that a moment where seconds turn out to seem like hours? Hours seem like days. You're in pain. Some of you experience chronic pain, and I I, I don't know what that's like, but I know that it's really hard to endure. Think about Jesus on the cross, the only perfect human being ever to, to exist, taking on the sins of the entire world. While nails are being struck into his palms and his feet. He's struggling for each breath. You know, to speak on the cross, he had to push himself up on those nails and his feet because when you're hanging there, you you can't take air in. To breathe, you have to push yourself up. To talk, you have to push yourself up. With each second existing in absolute agony, he waited. He waited until it was finished. And the only reason that he did that is because he loves us. He waited until the job was done. And today he asks us, "Can you wait?" I waited for you. Can you wait?" Let's pray. Father by the presence by the power of your Holy Spirit who lives in us, who believe in you, Lord. We pray that you give us patience. Not, patience, not just to wait, Father, but to be steadfast as we wait. Father, in glorious anticipation of your arrival, we pray, Lord, to give us the strength to endure between now and then that we might be faithful messengers of your grace and mercy in a world that needs it so desperately. Help us, O Lord, to wait. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like you to stand for a second. If you're at home, stand up. Thank you. Father, I pray a blessing on these precious people. Father, they, they are examples of your steadfastness, of your faith. Father, I pray now that you bless them as they go, as they carry this message with them, Father, that they become beacons of patience and steadfastness and faith and endurance, Father, that whatever they encounter, that you would empower them and enable them to walk through it in the confidence that you, our Father, will take vengeance on those who persecute us and deliver us into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back with Chapter 2 next week. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on Sermon Audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at WBFVA.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you, or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.